I wanted to talk to you tonight from the end of the book. And one of the things that has kind of stirred my heart and my life recently is just looking out at this world that we're in, this time frame that we are here on the earth. And I don't know, and it's been speculated about, you know, the, 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 the times, are these times any more evil than any other period or any other time in history? And certainly there are pockets of places and points of history that are pretty evil. But we're seeing some things happening lately that just seem to be becoming so just in your face. Things that are we're being confronted with, things that are happening in our nation, things that are happening in our government, things that are happening around the world. And uh, there seems to be, there seems to be uh, an activity of the enemy that is just wanting to kind of stir things up. And so I felt just pressed upon my heart to just take us tonight to the back of the book. Uh, you know, there's a line in a song, one of my favorite songs. You can ask me who it's by after the service. I won't mention who it is. But there's a line in a song, and it says, you know, the good book, it says, we'll win. We'll win. Amen? And uh, when you read it all the way to the end, some people, you know, people, you know, they skip pages. They want the Cliff's Notes version, you know? And uh, you may, you know, you ever get the Cliff's Notes back when you were in school? No? You don't know what those were? Those were when you didn't read the whole book and you went to the bookstore and you got, there was a whole section. I don't know where, I guess they got this online now. You just go like, give me the summary of Hamlet, you know, in 15 pages. I don't have time to read it, you know. Now, I read it. I read Hamlet, trust me. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, you got to read the book and you got to read it from cover to cover. And if you read it and you read it all the way to the end, you discover that, that God's people do win. And uh, so tonight I want to take you to that, one of the chapters right at the back of the book. There's a misconception when it comes to the book of Revelation. And people are, you know, there, there are many Christians that are afraid of the book of Revelation. They're like, oh, I, I like all the books. I like the Psalms and the Proverbs because those kind of help me through my day. And I like to hear a little bit in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and maybe a little bit from, you know, David, and maybe a little bit from, you know, one of the prophets over here. But Revelation, ah, you know, it's, it's so hard to understand. And plus, isn't that all kind of you know, sealed up and, and, and just, you know, kind of put away in a thing to be understood for later times? Well, let me just tell you, nothing could be further from the truth because the book of Revelation is literally about the unsealing, the uncovering, literally the unveiling of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's going to do. Literally, the, 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 the word revelation is the, is the word apocalypsis. Where we get our word for apocalypse, people think of the apocalypse. If I said apocalypse, you think of, oh, the tragedy of, of the end times or whatever. It's literally the unveiling, the uncovering, the revealing of the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's what it is. So we don't need to be afraid 
of the book of Revelation. It is not, in that sense, a sealed book. I want to take you tonight to chapter 21, where it is unveiled, this city, the city of God, this new Jerusalem. And in this passage that we're going to look at, Jesus declares what he is doing and what he's going to accomplish right up to that point, that he's going to make all things brand new. Amen? So let's look at it. Revelation chapter 1, or chapter 21, verse 1. All things are made new. This is just, let me, before I read, by the way, just for just context, this is the Apostle John speaking here, okay? Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son." But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Wow, so you look at this, you read these verses, and there's a lot to be reminded of. There's a lot to soak in there. It's true that the church is... It's been said that the church should be a hospital, right? A hospital for hurting people. And in that sense, it is, because Jesus is the great physician and he wants to heal. He, he, his whole mission, really, the Lord's mission is to heal whosoever would come, because we're, we're damaged, we're sick. We do have a disease. Every man, woman, and child has a sin disease that there's only one cure for it, and it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as the great physician, wants to administer that healing to whosoever will come. And so in that sense, the church is a hospital. It's also been said that the church should be a gymnasium where each person each member of the body of Christ is kind of working out their salvation with fear and trembling, right? So we've got a hospital, we've got a gymnasium. 
But let me suggest this, that it should also be a travel agency. Amen? A travel agency. Because we can help people book their ticket on the most fantastic adventure and journey that will ever take place. And I am so glad that I've got my ticket to ride on the J train, the Jesus train, because there's a train coming and you got to have a ticket. And I want to enlist, I want to give, I want to be a part of giving that ticket uh, to, to whosoever would come. So we're headed to heaven. And what we see here in this passage that we've read tonight is John, as he's been shown all these things in the book of Revelation, it comes up to this point. And, and he's continuing with this description of what he's seeing. And what does he see in verse 1 of chapter 21? He says, I, see a, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. There's an idea that, that was put into Scripture that, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You, you go through and, and, and you go all the way back to the, to the Garden of Eden where, where sin entered the world and, and where, the, you know, the, where the serpent, the nakash, the enemy, the, the, that one that was, is, is the enemy, the adversary, uh, you know, chose to be on the other side. He chose to attempt to exalt himself above the Most High and, and, and to be equal with God and to maybe even have a throne above God. And, and then it all unraveled as man was tempted, woman was, the woman was tempted, and, and, and the man also succumbed to that disobedience. And, and so then there was that curse, the curse of sin that entered the world. And, and this is so important to understand because when you're looking at, at the problems of the world, as a believer, we have a particular view of the world. We, we're, we're not necessarily terribly surprised, you know, when stuff goes bad. I mean, it's sometimes astonishing in what happens, but it shouldn't be that much of a surprise because, my goodness, this world is full of seven billion people that have a, a really terrible problem. And there's a curse of sin. And that curse of sin was placed upon mankind, but also upon the serpent and also upon the earth. The ground was brought forth thorns and thistles. And Paul talks about the, the groaning of the earth. In, in chapter 8 of Romans, he talks about the earth groaning and longing forward to, to, to this, new, this newness that's promised. We're, we're kind of groaning too, <laughs> right? That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8. He says, we're groaning, the earth's groaning, everything's groaning because we're looking forward to what God is going to do because he's going to make all things new. John here in chapter 21 of Revelation, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This was, take you just real briefly to one of the passages where we see this idea of a new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah 65 Beginning at verse 17, you'll see it on the screen. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create a Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. Now, 
you know, you read something like that and it's like, oh wow, there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth and the former one will not even be remembered. And you're thinking like, well, you know, I'd like to hang on to some of my memories. I mean, there's some stuff I'd like to forget. I'm, there's some stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm just really resonating with that verse where it will like, these former things will not be remembered. But you know what? When I think about the, the greatest things in my life and I look at what God is going to do, where we're headed, that we're gonna be made new in every way that we've been, we've been justified and we're being sanctified, but we're going to be glorified and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and it's going to be a whole new uh, dwelling with the Lord that is going to be incredible, that is going to be awesome, that is going to be so far surpassing of like what we can conceive of that, you know what, we, we're just going to be so blown away that, man, it will blow our minds. Maybe it'll blow out all those, you know, it'll blow all those bad memories out. It'll blow all that stuff out, amen? And, and looking forward to that. And there's going to be a Jerusalem and it's going to be a place of joy in the, in the, in the Holy Spirit, in, in the Lord. So um, we're looking forward to this. It's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. The word new there is, is it's kind of a word, it's a complex word. It, it, it is going to be a new earth, a new heaven and a new earth. It's new in every way, kind of. It's, it's new in the sense that it is the quality is going to be just like, you know, God made the earth. Remember when in Genesis, you guys are all pro, Genesis pros, right? You didn't know, yeah, remember? We did that for a year and a half. You guys are... We, we should have handed out degrees, you know, <laughs> right? But man, God made the earth and after everything he made, he said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. I think he's gonna, on this next one, it's gonna be, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's great. I mean, it's gonna be the new heaven and the new earth. And uh, you think Apple tries to outdo themselves every iPhone that they put out, God's gonna step it up with earth, heaven and earth 2.0. Amen? It is going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. So, hey, look, I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. Jesus said this in Luke 21, 33, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So this idea of the, the, the old earth passing away uh, is validated by the, the prophets, by Jesus himself. And then Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And you'll see it on the screen. It says, he says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So, wow. What's Peter seeing? What's Peter saying? What's he seeing? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing this down, and that is a power-packed verse. It's not one of those that you put up in needlepoint on your, you know, hanging in your bathroom, but it's definitely one, to, it's a verse to be reckoned with, really, because it talks about the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night, the heavens and the earth passing away with a great noise, with elements melting in the heat, and everything in the earth being burned up. Wow. Now, a few years ago, they announced that, scientists announced that they discovered this particle. Uh, do you remember this? 
the Higgs boson. And they called it, well, the people that discovered the Higgs boson did not name it this. I don't know who named it this, but they called it the God particle. Remember this? I think it was, you know, headlines, made headlines. So anyways, the Higgs boson is like a, it's just, you know, for the best, the best way I know to explain it, and I don't really know it that well, but I know enough to try to explain it, is it's a particle within what they call this Higgs field that gives mass to the, the particles and the atoms that we see. And so the reason why uh, you can look at me and I can look at you is because of this God particle, this Higgs boson. And I remember when this was all in the news and I had studied a lot in you know, these fields, not, not, not necessarily like on the collegiate level getting a degree in physics or anything, but just out of inquiry, just out of curiosity, uh, because there's so, much, there's so much new stuff coming out with all these speculations of the different theories of string theory and, and um, multiple universes and all these, these things, the theorems being thrown out there to explain everything, right? So the Higgs boson is this thing that gives mass to the, the particles, the atoms of the universe. So it seems to me that, I was, I was thinking about it one day, and it seems to me that God has, in the creation, developed this particle that he can literally probably just throw a switch, <laughs> right? And there's something of a, you know, if he wants to just kind of throw a switch and burn everything up, I mean, he can do it. And he can bring it back with, with the new, the better, the 2.0 in the way that he... I, I'm not sitting here trying to explain tonight how this is all going to be possible. I'm just trying to tell you, put it into your mind that the Word of God tells us there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the things of the former earth are going to be burn up. Amen? There's not going to be any trace of, of anything. And, uh, you know, you wonder if, like, you'll be able to ask God, you know, I, I had all these pictures on a hard drive, God. <laughs> Can you bring those up? No, we burnt those up. <laughs> save your stuff, save your stuff. It's going to be burned up in your house. Well, it's all going to be burned up according to Peter anyway. So let's move on. So there's going to be a, a new heaven and a new earth. But look at that verse 1 of Revelation 21, he says, there's, for the, there's a, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then he says, also there was no more sea. Now that, for, for all of you ocean lovers, that was, that's kind of like, uh, I want to scratch that one out, you know? <laughs> no more sea? How can there be no more sea? That's just, there's a problem. I mean, you know, you can just, all your fishermen, all your surfers are not happy right now. Um, you know, there's all your beach lovers, you know, are just, we're not, I mean, are you a fisherman? Raise your hand. You a surfer? Raise your hand. You love the beach? Love the water? Okay, we're all, we're all sad. We're all sad because it says, also there was no more sea. Well, we have to understand. We have to understand the language, the, 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 the way that this is being communicated to the people of the time that this is being written to. And a part of this culture the sea was always something that was kind of where evil kind of arose out of. You know, it came actually from some of the mythologies 
of the surrounding nations. And it, it just was where trouble happened. And so when it's saying there's going to be no more sea, it's just a very quick way for that first century reader, that first century hearer, is picking up on the meaning of that very quickly. There's no more sea? Yay! There's no more trouble. There's no more trouble. Even in this book of Revelation, you saw the beast coming up out of the sea. Now, did the beast really come up out of the sea? Or was that a way of, of saying that the, that which produced evil and that which is known to be the, the, the source or, or where evil kind of comes from is, is where the, the beast was coming from? So it's, it's a way that's being communicated to the hearer and, you know, this book of Revelation is, I believe, according to most scholars, would, would not all, but most, would agree that this was the latest book uh, that was written uh, because this was, was received and written at a time when John was, um, was exiled on the island of Patmos, right? So... This is, the, this is the language that is being communicated here. Also, there will be no sea. And then I saw, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So there's no more sea, and then there's this new Jerusalem, the holy city. You see, there's the Jerusalem that, that they, that, that, that they all knew about. There was the Jerusalem there in, in Judea, the city of God, the city where the temple was built, the, the city where you know, the, the kingdom of Israel was established, the city where David ruled and, 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 and so on. And, and you have that Jerusalem. But there's, there's this other Jerusalem. It's a new Jerusalem. And... This is what John sees. He sees this new Jerusalem. Now, what is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is, is a word that it's, it's kind of made up of two words. You have uh, Salem, which is actually peace. It's like where in the Hebrew you have Shalom or Salem, which is peace. And then you have Jeru, which is like city. So it's like city of peace. Jerusalem is the city of peace. So God's city is a city of peace. And so now you have this new city, this new Jerusalem. It's the new city of peace. And, and John sees it. And one of the things that you, you, you look, you wonder about a city. What makes a city? What is it that makes up a city? Because if you look at any city, and I don't know if you think about this, but this is the type of stuff I think about. From time to time, not at all times, but sometimes, I'll be somewhere and I'll think like, I wonder what this place looked like when there was no one here. I wonder what, you know, have you ever been in New York City, Manhattan, and you just stood there and you say, I what, wonder what it looked like when, who was it, the Dutch, you know? They bought it from the Indians or something. I don't know the story. They got a good deal on it, right? <laughs> you know, now it's like the most expensive, one of the most expensive islands on the, you know, the face of the earth. And all these buildings. But there was a time when that was just like a, just grass. You know, it was just there. It was just like a field. 
surrounded by rivers, right? So what is it that makes up a city? Well, you could say, well, they build these roads and they build buildings and they build, you know, a town hall and a, put up a clock tower or something. I don't know. But really, when you think about what a city is, a city is the people because, the, because people move to a place and begin to inhabit a geographic location. And so really the city is made up of the people. And so when you look at what John is seeing here, you see that there's this idea of, of the idea of the city also being the people of God. Do you think of it as being the city? You know, if I say a city, you think of like a skyline. Like you think of like a, you know, you think of like the skyline of Chicago, you know, looking at it across the, the you know, where you go out. I've, I've described this, right? You, if you're ever in Chicago, this is what you do. You go out to Adler Planetarium. You know, you go out to Shedd Aquarium, Adler Planetarium, and it's a point out that sticks out into the lake and you look back across at the skyline. And you say, oh, well, there's Chicago, right? There's all the buildings. Look at the architecture. Look at, the, look at this. But see, really, the people is what makes up a city. And when you look at verse 2, he says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, look at this, prepared as a bride, adorned for her, for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So here's what you have. You have the city of God, you have the people of God, and they are this new creation, they're this new thing in Christ, and they're this new community, this perfected community, this exalted community, this glorified community that is in God, that is in Christ. And God has done this incredible thing where at the end here, what John is seeing is the new Jerusalem coming and the, the, this community, this communion, this eternal communion that is going to be where we're going to be forever with the Lord, where there's going to be this perfection of everything. See, right now, we're looking at it, on one side of it, we're looking at it and we're looking at all the imperfection in the world. We're looking at everything that's wrong. We're looking at the problems in our own life, the problems in our own family, the problems in this country and across this world. And on the other side, we're looking at it from a Christian perspective that somehow God is redeeming this whole thing. And he came and he gave his son, he gave his life on the cross and, and through that, that gift that all people can be redeemed and I'm a part of that. Why? Because I accepted it. I, I was one of those whosoevers that said, hey, I, I, I want in. And so one by one, God is redeeming this thing and he's bringing it all to a perfection where it's going to be perfect. Amen? It's going to be this perfect community, this perfect communion. Oh, can is that going to be awesome? Is that going to be awesome? We're all going to be living in harmony with one another. We're not going to have, 
you know, neighbors on our right or left that give us a hard time for parking in front of their house. Amen. Praise Jesus. You know, among other things, among, among other things that we won't, we won't mention, but, you know, just we're going to be living in harmony with one another. We're going to be living in harmony with God. We're going to be living in this perfect union, this perfect communion with God. And God is going to, to eliminate some things because in order for it to be a perfect community, he's going to eliminate some things that, that are a part of our lives right now. Look at that verse four. It says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow or crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Now look at that list. That is an awesome list of things that right now we wish we could get rid of all those things right now. Amen? But right now we have them. Right now we have them and we have Christ and we're headed towards this time. We're headed towards this moment. This is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. That we're just not wandering through earth and we're just leaving everything up to chance. Leaving everything up to chance that, you know, guess what? I'm going to just roll the dice and say, there's no God. And, you know, when you die, you die. They put you six feet under or they burn you up in an oven and put you on the shelf. That's the cheaper route. Right? And that's it. No, we've got our, we've got our hope. We've got our lives We've got everything that we are. We've got, we've got it staked upon the truth of the gospel and the reality that what this is saying in these verses is true. That we're headed for heaven and we're headed for a place of perfection, a perfect community of no more tears. The tears will be wiped away. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's just this perfection. And I can't even, like I, you stop and read that verse and try to like even wrap your mind around it, right? You try to wrap your, no more sorrow. No more pain. God is, that's where God is bringing us to. Amen. Then he who sat on the throne, verse five, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words, for they are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So, if you have hope in Christ, you are a part of this city. You're a part of this city. You're a part of the people of God. You're a part of the city of God. You are, right now, you're the new Jerusalem. You're the new Jerusalem. And this is what we're looking for. We're looking forward to this time when God is going to do this. And it's going to be pretty, pretty incredible. So God is going to dwell with his people in absolute perfection. He's going to be our God 
and we're going to be his people. And, and that's the way it is right now. Amen? That, that he's our God, and we're going to be his people. And so Jesus says to John, he says, look, here's what I'm doing. I'm making all things new. I'm, all, I'm making all things new. Now, the cool part of this is there, there are probably, there's probably been a time in your life when you say, you know, there's probably a moment in time where you kind of peak, <laughs> you know, just physically and everything, and then it just kind of goes, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's not maybe a steep decline, but it's just, you know, you go over that, that peak and it's just like, you know, I don't know when that time is. Different people would say different times, but maybe like 40, right? You know, 40? No, 50? 60? 30? 70? Okay, all right. We got a, we've got a, <laughs> we've got a, 70 is the new 40 for, for South Coast Calvary Chapel. 70 is the new 40. Remember that? You used to, you used to when someone turned 40, that was going what? over the hill, and you'd get him the toilet paper that said, you know, happy birthday over the hill or what? I don't know. I don't even know why I brought that up. I just remember that. But, you know, it, you peak somewhere where the eyes start going bad, you know, the metabolism slows down, and you have to start eating grass and stuff, you know, and, and acting like you're all cool with it and stuff. Kale, kale becomes the cool thing, right? Are you kidding me, kale? This is, this, we, I, Mary Jo and I worked at Sizzler. Do you remember what Sizz, you remember Sizzler Steakhouse? And they had a, you, you remember? And they had, they had a salad bar at Sizzler. You'd go in there and you'd get a sirloin with shrimp, uh, uh, like, a, like a six ounce sirloin with like some fried shrimp, and then they'd ask you, you want to add on the salad bar with that, right? And then they had this massive salad bar. It was a great salad bar, right? And then you just, Mary Jo was, she, just you can ask her after the service. She was like the best Sizzler waitress in the history of Sizzler. I mean, she just... I mean, I'd be over there with like $75 that I made, and she'd be, how, how are you doing? Oh, like 198 <laughs> or something. I'd be like, okay, all right, you're, 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 you're better looking than me <laughs> and sweeter, that's for sure. But um, where was I going with that? Oh, kale. Kale. Kale was what you put around the salad. Not in the salad. Kale was what you put around the bowls to make the salad bar presentable. We would go and clean up the salad bar at the end of the night and throw all the kale away. And now it is in your salad. This is where we're at, folks. And that's why we're looking forward to this time when Jesus is going to say, I make all things new, amen? Because we're going for... The, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? We're going to sit down and we're going to have a feast. And there's going to be no more sorrow. So somehow there's going to be a feast 
and no more sorrow. So just figure that one out, and God's got it all under control. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so he says, look at this, verse 8. Well, how am I doing on time? I'm doing good. I'm almost done. Verse 6. And he said to me, it's done. Now, what, you know, what that rings bells right there for you is it, it brings you back to the cross, right? It brings you back to the cross when Jesus cried out, he gave up his, right before he gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished, right? It is accomplished. It is finished. It is, it's been brought to completion. What? The, the, the plan of him being the sacrifice. He, he did it. He went all the way. He, he, he accomplished the whole thing. And he gave up his spirit and died. And he was the perfect sacrifice. But then, of course, he was placed in the tomb. Three days later, he was resurrected. He came out, and because of that resurrection, we have hope in Christ and in the work that he did on the cross, the atoning work, the, the propitiation that he was for us and reversing the, the, the curse of sin in our lives was accomplished by what he did. Why? Because he who hung on, hangs on a tree is a curse. But Paul put it this way in Galatians, he became a curse for us. And our hope is in him. And he said, it is, it is finished. But here he says, it's done. It's done. I make all things new. I make all things new. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of life. Oh, back just real quick. When he says he's the Alpha and the Omega, when Jesus specifically says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end in the book of Revelation, he is literally identifying himself with the God of the Old Testament. He's literally equating himself with, you can read it, read it up in Isaiah 44. Don't have time to go down through that tonight, but just look it up, write it down. Isaiah 44, the beginning and the end. Here is Jesus saying, I'm the beginning and the end. Okay? So, he says, he who overcomes, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, this little section here, how they have broken up in the Bible here, in the, in the, in the editors of the, of the Bible here, the New King James, which I'm reading of, probably the, the, the version that you're reading out is follow the same editorial demarcation of this particular passage, right? So they've got one through eight kind of marked off and then it picks up again, verse nine. This little section here ends with verse eight where it contrasts those who will receive everything that we've just described, the perfection in Christ, the, 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 the communion with, the, with God and the community of people and being a part of the new Jerusalem. All those wonderful things. The no more pain, the no more tears, the no more death. All that stuff being put an end to. All those people who've received those things being contrasted with those who will not receive it. There will be, unfortunately, those who will not receive it because God did something when he, 
when he made man and he, he made man and he made them and put them on the earth as, the, as his image, he gave them a choice to choose life or death. That was the choice in the garden. There was a choice of life or death. There was a tree of life. It never says that they couldn't eat from the tree of life in Genesis, right? It says you cannot eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which turns out to be the tree of death because it was forbidden. And if you ate of it, here's what's going to happen when you eat of it. In the day that you eat of it, you will die. So there's always a, the choice was between life and death, cur, being cursed or blessed. You find this all the way from Genesis 3 into Deuteronomy. Pick it up, re, read your Bible, read, uh, read the passage where Moses was instructed to divide the people on the two mountains. Well, actually Moses didn't do it. Moses was instructed. Joshua was the one who had actually carried it out. Where he divided half of the tribes of men on one mountain, half of them on the other mountain, and they, they recited the blessings from one mountain of those who would follow the commandments of God and the cursings for not following. And Joshua stands up after this whole thing, this whole demonstration, and he says, choose life that you would be blessed. Choose life that you would be blessed. And this is the demarcation here. In Revelation 21, those that overcome, those that choose life, those that have come into the family will be a part of the new Jerusalem, the perfect communion, the perfect community. But verse 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay, let's just break this down and we'll be done. You've got this list of things. And when we read it, your mind quickly said to you, okay, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. Oh, <laughs> There's a couple of those that I'm not too sure about. <laughs> I hope I'm okay. Here's the thing. If, you, if, if a person is living in sin, they have not come to Christ. I've explained this before, and I explained this in detail in my book, and I actually stole it from A.W. Pink in his commentary and exposition on the Gospel of John, where he says this, the, unbe the unbeliever is walking in life in an unbroken course of sin. They are sinners. They are idolaters. They are sexually immoral. They are all these things, because they are walking in that course. It's unbroken. But the believer is walking in that course and comes to Christ. And he breaks that course. And he breaks the chains that bind. And he saves. And he wipes away sin. And he covers and he heals. And he, he administers his healing touch, his healing balm. 
And so, although a Christian may sin, they're not walking as a sinner in an unbroken course of sin. David put it this way in the Psalms, blessed is the man whose sin will never be counted against him. Which is to kind of say that there will those be that have their sins counted against them. And there's only one way to have that course of sin broken in your life. And that's to come to Jesus and that's to be that whosoever will, will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and be unshackled from the bondage of sin and of the enemy. Amen? So don't have time to go through this list and go through each item on the list, although that's another whole study to do. (laughs) Amen? But the interesting one is the cowardly, right? (laughs) You think of the other ones as being the unbelieving, of course, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers. The cowardly? Really? Is that like, really, like in the same, like, you know, juxtaposition of, of, you know, included with that list? And really, one of the commentators actually spoke on this, and he talked about the cowardly being those who have rejected Christ, who have literally just full frontal rejection of Christ and the gospel and, 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 and the sacrifice that Jesus made. And they were, they were cowardly. For whatever reason, they, 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 they chose the cursings. They chose the tree of death. They chose to not taste from the tree of life. You know, the, they say, you know, yeah, I want to I go to hell and party with all my friends. <laughs> right? It's not, I don't think it's going to be a party. There's not going to be any breakfast. In fact, there's a song about that. No breakfast in hell. It's a newsboy song, I think. Look it up. Um, so, that's it. Where are you going to be? Who you, where do you stack up? The answer to the situation is choosing life. Choosing the tree of life. Not the tree of death. Adam and Eve, they chose the tree of death. But God said, hey, I'm going to come, I'm going to send my son into the world. He's going to hang on a tree. And he's going to offer himself Whosoever will come and partake of the tree of life. Unless you partake of Christ, the fruit of the tree of life, you don't have those benefits of being a part of the new Jerusalem. You don't have those benefits of being a son. You don't have those benefits of having the tears wiped away. You 
have chosen your destiny in that sense. So choose you this day whom you will serve. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and be a part of the new Jerusalem of God.